Welcome to episode 290 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Take a moment to think back to the last event or meeting you attended on Zoom. All too often, traditional event design, particularly in a virtual setting, can lend itself to the most privileged in the room, the loudest, the most confident, the most experienced. There is a way to avoid that. And I believe it is a gift to give people a well-designed online event experience. People give you their time, often also their money, to attend your online session and the quality of the event you give in return matters. Back in spring of 2020, when we were all thrust into a world where Zoom meetings went from occasional to everyday, simply remembering to put yourself on mute or having breakout rooms enabled could go a long way. But that's basic, less than basic, honestly. These days, we're deep into 2022, and the expectation is that folks entering an online session will be presented with an experience designed with intention Anything else, frankly, makes you look like a rookie and could make your participants feel like they wasted their time. Stay tuned to After the Interview to learn more about a two-hour workshop I'm providing to help you competently and confidently design and execute an intentionally engaging online meeting. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest believes you can find inspiration through honest conversation. Before becoming the founder and chief inspiration officer of Inspired Purpose Coaching, He was a finance and strategy executive working with some of the world's leading life sciences companies. Along his journey, he also managed small businesses and ran a financial consulting company. He's a trusted advisor, coach, experienced creator, author, podcast host, and speaker. He brings together over 25 years of business and management experience, formal training, and extreme curiosity to elevate leaders and equip them with the tools to navigate through change and unlock their true potential. He's the host of the Virtual Campfire Podcast and the author of Climbing the Right Mountain, Navigating the Journey to an Inspired Life. Please join me in welcoming Tony Martinetti. Thank you for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here. Tony, thanks for joining me from uh, your place in Boston, Massachusetts, my former hometown. Awesome to have you here. So this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and When did you realize you had the skills to lead? Yeah, it's a great question. So first of all, I would say by defining, I would start with serving others with compassion, exhibiting courage, and seeing possibilities. And there's really, if you think about it, there's there's, um, three Cs there. There's compassion, courage, and curiosity. If you think about seeing possibilities as being curious, and those are all three values that I hold very dearly. So compassion, um, courage, and curiosity. Yes. Um, so that seeing possibilities is important because that's what leaders do. They really look at what's possible here and what are we missing? What could be something we would lean into um, with humility as well, which is another one that I didn't include, but I think humility is important. Yeah. And when did you first start realizing how to these mindsets or skills around leadership? Like what are the earliest inklings? Yeah, it's interesting question because I started to realize it when I looked around and I noticed that the people I was following, 
the that my intuition was starting to build stronger and stronger that I might be right about certain things and that the people I was following, they weren't as infallible as I thought they were. Um, and I learned a lesson along that way to say that, you know what, to lead is not to be infallible. Um, you don't have to always be right. Um, and so that was a good insight for me to realize that it's not about knowing the right path, but knowing that you know, you have a sense of a direction you want to go and that you lead with your heart in that direction. Was this early in your career at that point? Yeah. I mean, it was early stage of like when I first started to really get up in the ranks um, in the biotech industry that I was um, I was working in. I, I got my start early on at companies like Gillette and, um, and in the high tech industry. But when I first really hit my stride in um, really understanding business was when I got into biotech and saw some really great leadership working on some really devastating diseases. So for me, that's when I really started to see the difference maker that leadership can have. All right. But I'm going to ask you, Tony, to wind the clock back a bit for us. Sure. So me too. Uh, what were you like on the playground? Like, you know, where, where, did you run for office in, in school? Did you... Uh, did you organize uh, campaigns? Like, what kind of kid were you? Did you just sit back yeah. and watch? Who noticed you? That kind of thing. I love that question. It's the first time I've heard that before. But I would start by saying I was the artistic child, the child who would, you know, create worlds with his paintbrush and his crayons and his pencils. Uh, I actually created a lot of um, environments. I was big on creating like different worlds and, and environments that had emotional feelings interesting for something like that. I wasn't drawing cats and dogs and people's stick figures. I was doing something a little more um, elaborate at that stage. Um, but I also had the outdoors was my thing, was my world. I loved being outside, playing outside. You know, I remember in my upbringing, it was all about, you know, Hey, um, I'm closing the door, go have fun. You know, my parents would kick us out <laughs> of the house and, and go, you know, tell us to go have fun and uh, get in some trouble. And we did. <laughs> um, but for the most part, that was my, um, my upbringing, um, just really playing and exploring different worlds and creating worlds uh, along the way. You know, it's funny because in your introduction, it says that you are an experienced creator. So um, fun just to hear about some of the origins, even when you were younger, the idea of creating worlds, creating, you know, like putting the emotion into it, not just drawing the figures in the scene. Yeah. And, I, and I, what I love about this, um, what you bring up to this is that I hid that for a while. There, that childhood part of me was stuffed down at some point along my journey because there was realism that was brought into my world, which is say, go get a job, go find something that's going to make a living. Um, society is telling us all that we can't be the creative types, um, at least theoretically. And you have to go do something that's going to earn you a paycheck and earn you the accolades that people in the world usually appreciate. Um, but we know that that's not true now, at least you and yeah. I know. Right. But, it, but it's a hard thing to, to learn if those voices are coming at you at a young age. So um, you, you said you were really outdoorsy. Were you part of any clubs that were outdoors based or was it more just like you and your friends being out in the neighborhood, which is, I grew up that way too. It's funny how that does not seem like how my kids are going to grow up, but yeah. So true. I love that insight. So yeah, it was more of a you know free form play. 
that we uh, we just got out and explored. Back then, there was a lot more land to explore. We'd go on our bikes and get into you know the woods and go into like the different dirt pits and what have you, making forts. It was so much fun. Uh, I think nowadays there's just not that sense of adventure, um, at least not in the real world that kids have. Um, the virtual world for world for sure, but it's not the same way as it used to be when we were kids. Right. They're building Minecraft worlds. <laughs> true. <laughs> They're not true. building forts in real life. Um, <laughs> my kids haven't yet gotten into Minecraft, but I know it's coming. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. So, uh, so let's say you're 12. How, how do you think of the world then? Like, was there a clear sense of what you wanted to be? Um, did you have a, a like who, who, who was taking notice of you or who were you looking up to? Like what, what's, this is sort of right before you start to realize you know, you're going to be an adult <laughs> while well, you're still a little bit like more like a kid right on the cusp. Yeah. What did you think life was going to bring you? Yeah. I thought I was going to be an architect. Uh, I thought I would get, you know, I loved architecture. I loved drawing and I loved just creating stuff. And so for me, that was the world that I was aspiring to. And I also liked the idea of being able to do things in the world because I was into travel, um, you know, wanted to know more about the buildings are out there, that experience of like, well, what is it like to build a building in a place like Europe or in Asia? Um, that's what I wanted to have for myself. Like that was my dream. And then um, eventually that all faded. But the people who noticed me most were the art teachers and the people who um, saw my artwork and would, would say like, look, you've got a gift. You've got something going for yourself that you should continue to explore. And my parents would listen for sure. Um, but I also would say, go get a day job too. <laughs> I mean, I started working for my dad at a, at a young age, um, doing all types of construction work with my dad, starting at, uh, at 13 um, and on, um, just because he wanted to, to instill in me this idea of hard work is how work and how, is how you get, a, get ahead, which is interesting how it's true. I still believe that hard work is the way to, to win, but it's smart, working smarter and understanding that there's a certain limit to how hard work, how hard you should work and mm -hmm. the process of creating what you want. Yeah. You probably have more nuance and strategy in your approach nowadays than you would have had from that lesson then. Yeah. So you, you ended up going to college, I presume, because you talked about working for these big firms and when you graduated, was it very clear, like the path you were going to take then? Um, not necessarily. I would say that when I, um, first of all, I was a pre-med major. So I went from architecture to switching gears and deciding to become a pre-med major because I was going to be a radiologist. So that was my thing. And then I decided along that way that I, I I'm not going to, I'm not cutting people open. That's just not going to be my thing. And chemistry was also a big struggle for me, but I love sciences. So interestingly enough, as you noted in the intro, I did end up working in the life sciences, but from a different capacity from the business side. But what I did in college was I switched gears at the, the school I was going to and went into the business field, um, which was fantastic because I was able to see that as the language of how things get done in the workplace. Um, I graduated. I actually had a job before I even graduated because I was working as, um, I did a co-op job. That's what I called it. Um, working with company uh, with Gillette, which was blades and razors, did all types of work with uh, different parts of the division of that company. And I had a job like for the first five years out of, out of um, 
college, I was working with that company and it was fantastic. Big company, lots of room to grow, uh, lots of fond memories from those early days. But ultimately the challenge for me was that if I stayed in that company, I would be a lifer. I mean, I could be a lifer in that company if I wanted to, but I realized quickly that I didn't want to be in just one big company for the rest of my life. I had to see what else was out there. Which is hard because I know in some ways it sounds like people were sort of instilling in you this idea of security, responsibility, like take take the the path like most traveled, <laughs> um, you know. And so here you are, you actually find yourself in a position where you can um, you can go to work and just stay in one place, and yet you're like, oh, I don't want to actually do that. I want to move around, and so you know, there must be some way in which like you had to find people who, who believed in that. Um, and when you mentioned co-op co-ops, I, uh, I'm assuming Northeastern and I just glanced on your LinkedIn and you are a Northeastern grad. So very cool. I've hired a bunch of co-ops <laughs> students. Yes. Um, what a great program because it like early on you get introduced to different, uh, work, uh, real life work environments. And often if it goes well, you get hired in, um, uh, to an entry-level role which clearly you did. And then you have this sort of path where you could have stayed in, um, but you were drawn to do something else. So how did you start to make those shifts? Did you know where you were going next? Did you just leave? Like, how did you, like, that's a big decision in your mid twenties. Well, it's a great question because I think this is one of those things where as people progress in their roles in, in their career, you know, it's easier at first and then it gets harder as you get further up, the air gets thinner. Um, the, in the early days for me, it was like, well, you know, I'm at this big company. I've got a great name, great pedigree, if you will, um, for what I was doing. And so making the decision to leave, although people were shocked, they're like, why would you leave a company like that? For me, leaving, people would say, well, wow, like we're, you've got a great talent. You're talented. You've gotten a great experience. We'd be happy to hire you into another company. And so when I decided to leave, I had a lot of options. Mm. I didn't have to necessarily starve myself or, you know, wait for something new to pop up. I quickly went into another organization and found myself, you know, just downsizing to a smaller company, but realizing that there was a lot more to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what got me into my next role, which is more in the high tech space. Um, ironically enough, looming on the on the corner for that was basically the the big um, this the the tech crash, which. I was right in the middle of that, of course, but um, to that, for that very reason, it, it was actually a great learning experience for me because I was working at a company that did supply chain management for the high-tech industry. So we were the outsource model for a lot of those high-tech companies. Um, and I did a lot of work with helping them to do a lot of the financial modeling to help them do the outsource modeling, which was fantastic. Well, this is incredible learning. And I'm wondering like how much of this you're able to like take with you because right? it's very transferable yeah. skills to some degree. And you're just like, okay, but now it's a new, it's a new work environment, a small, like you've, you have a different domain. At some point though, you, the itch to keep trying something new led you to decide to try something on your own. Yeah. Is this yeah. the first business you've built or is this something that you iterated over time? Like how does that come into, into being? So the business I'm I'm in right now is uh, is a second business. Uh, actually, the third business I've I've started. Um, the first business I started was actually um, a small um, startup company that was related to doing genotyping and phenotyping 
um, different disease areas. Um, so I worked with a, um, with a partner and we built this company. Um, the second company I started was a consulting company called LifeSide Financial Consulting, where I worked with small to mid-sized biotech companies to, to build their finance teams, to do fundraising and um, to do modeling for bringing in new assets to their, to their company. So that was my second company. And then the third company is Inspired Purpose Coaching. And this has been the most rewarding of all three. Although I would say it's also been the most challenging because it's in an arena that um, for me has been um, a roller coaster of a ride. <laughs> well, it, the first two very much draw on the experience you, you yeah. gained working in the field. And it's really niche and your name is known. And so you know exactly who the buyers are going to be and exactly what their needs are. You've, you've already sort of lived this with them. And then coaching is, you know, you know, first of all, not everyone even knows what it is <laughs> exactly. even today, 20 years in to there being coaching as a practice. Um, but then, you know, there's different models. You've got to decide the format. You got to figure your audience. Like there's so many more questions. And you heard, you said you had a business partner for one of these, mm -hmm. um, but then when you decided to do this, you don't have a business partner. How did you, how do you sort of fill in the gaps of your own sort of yeah. expertise and knowledge? Like, how did you start to build out? You know what I mean? Like there's what yeah. you know, and there's the stuff that you're like, ah, oh, that's not my thing. It's a great question. And first of all, before I answer that question specifically, I will just say the reason why this is the hardest one of them all is because it's the most personal. Um, it's the most personal and intimate with your client but it's also most personal, intimate to me, because in order for me to be effective in being um, a good coach, to be a good advisor to people who I work with, I have to be really clear about who I am and what I'm offering. And I have to be really present to the people who I'm with. So that is really an important part of why this is the biggest challenge, because I had to get to know who I was in the journey of becoming a coach to then be a good coach. Um, but to answer your question more succinctly, what I realized along this journey of becoming a coach and to, to be effective and to fill the gaps of what I didn't know was I had to realize that I'm not meant to do all of it. I have to outsource certain things to people who are more skilled at this so that I can put myself on the guardrails of what I call, you know, structure creates freedom. And so I like to create structure for myself so that I'm focused on the things that are most important and most in my wheelhouse. And so when I started to create structure in my business, that's when things started to take off. It created freedom for me to operate in the place that I'm most gifted. Um, yeah, I can see that because at first, you know, when the revenue is not coming in, the idea of hiring seems like a long way away, even like, you know, a virtual assistant or somebody like that. But um, if you continue to be the person who does everything, you really do limit sort of your, your ability to, to grow, expand and serve more people, provide the, provide people what they need. Um, and you're distracting yourself from the thing that is what's yours. Like the thing you feel like this is what I contribute. This is the thing I should be focusing on. Um, so you obviously met lots of entrepreneurs sort of in this path, you know, when you first made this effort, you know, you had a business partner initially, you're also sort of still in the world of life sciences, you know, so you, you kind of knew the environment, but now how did you start building out your sort of, I guess, greater network of people that were also swimming <laughs> um, in this path with you, you know, like, 
we're all yeah. like, Hey, what's going on? Good to see you here again. You know, like, yeah. how did you start to find the kind of community that would be there for you to help make the right connections, referrals and all the rest? Yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to go a little bit on a, on a tangent and then I'll come back to your question very succinctly. Um, so first of all, I've been a, a connect people connector for a long time and I've really enjoyed that. And people really recognize that even when I was in the life sciences industry, um, and one of the things that I realized along the way is that everything happens through, you know, connections and fostering connections. But then when I started my coaching business, I felt like I was a fish out of water. I felt like the imposter. I felt like, oh my God, how can I go back to those people who knew me as something else? And then, you know, come in as something different. I had to like change the, my, I had to change my narrative in a sense. Um, and also I started to hang myself up in this, this competitive nature of like, oh, well, I had to compete with people around me because that's what you do when you are, you know, feeling like, oh, how do I win business? Well, that's a very scarcity driven model. So one of the quotes that came to mind for me around um, the time when I started biz- building my business, and I really don't know who actually gave me this quote, but it, it came somewhere. Um, but it's that amateurs compete and professionals create. And what I loved about that is this, this expansiveness to it, this idea that like, well, if I want to get far, I have to think about the pie as not being limited. I have to think of it as being expansive. And expansive is a big word for me. Um, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment if you'd like. But what I think about that is that I met with people. I started asking questions of other coaches. I started talking to people and just saying, like, what can I learn from you? Like, how can I be humble in you know in the learning process? And that built community. And I started to build tribes of people who are around me who I respected and saw them as, you know, people who I want to, you know, spend more time with. And they want to spend more time with me. And before you know it, you know, there's this like really um, you know kind of like lifting of all, all boats that happened, which is really powerful. And I continue to live by that today. So I've got to repeat this quote that you just shared. Yeah. Uh, Amateurs compete, professionals create. Yes. So that's a great takeaway right there. I've never heard that. I love when I hear a new, a new idiom like that. That's like, oh, that's so true. Um, And that uh, I've worked with clients who were in the corporate world for much of their career. And as they became entrepreneurs, they were astounded by the generosity and abundance of the entrepreneurial community. And they had to work hard to let go of the scarcity mindset, competitive mindset, which they didn't think of as scarcity, by the way, when they first yeah. came in, right? There's just like, that was the environment they were living in. Um, but but if you if you come into an abundant community with that mindset of comp- competition, people are like, well, we won't play with you anymore. That's fine. <laughs> like, exactly. There are other people we can engage with. Um, so how long ago did you found this particular iteration of your business? How, how far back is um, this now? Four and a half years ago, a little more than four and a half years ago, which yeah. I, it's funny. I think about time and like, that seems like not that much time, but then again, a long time. And um, it's been packed with um, it's been an emotional roller coaster because I've made so many mistakes, but I've made I've made so much impact in that time, and I've been really like just so grateful 
for the journey, you know, because if it wasn't for the ups and downs, then, you know, you don't get to where you really want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, the learnings are the gold. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And it, it could take you a while to kind of find your sea legs with this kind of uh, format. Yeah. Um, what, like, how would I know if I were talking to someone, how would I know they are the perfect person introduced to you yeah. either as a referral or, you know, someone that you could hit it off with because they're a great colleague. Like yeah. what, what would be a, what would be the right person to introduce to you for the work that you're doing? Um, it's a great question. And thank you. The, um, the ideal person that I work with is somebody who's accomplished. I call them accomplished leaders who want to lead with purpose, have a meaningful impact and feel fulfilled. You know, there's those three components are important because there's a sense that like, sometimes we're walking around and we've done great things. We lose sight of how great that the things that we've accomplished, but we don't feel anything about it. And we are striving to that next thing and continue to move forward and think like, I'll be happy when I get to that next thing, because that's, what's going to make me even more happy, or it's going to make me feel like I've accomplished the thing that I need to accomplish. The reality is we have to come from a fulfillment mindset, a mindset that says that I, I am, I have everything I need right now. Um, And I can continue to strive for more, but I have what I need right now to be fulfilled. Uh, so that's, moment. that's a great psychographic demographically. Are they working in companies? Both. Are they entrepreneurs? Yeah. Well, mostly they're, mostly they're in companies. And so I would say that most of the people I work with, they're, you know, coming from, you know, from companies, but sometimes they're in, um, in transition and some of them are entrepreneurs who have started companies, but they're also at this inflection point of like, ah, like, I want to make sure I do this right. Yeah. I want to make sure that I, I approach this in the right way. Um, because they've been through this cycle before they've maybe started a company in the past and they've realized that how bad it can go, <laughs> how so tough will, of a battle it can be. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've alluded to that yourself. Uh, you know, and, and I, a lot of people I work with, that's, I always talk about like all the, all the mistakes I made that I'm now trying to coach people so that they, yeah. they'll, they'll make their own mistakes, but they don't, don't make the same ones I made, like make new ones. Exactly. <laughs> um, so what, how did you approach that? How did you figure out what your offer was going to be for this particular business? Yeah, it's a great question. At first, so I'm going to you know, start with the fact that I just started to do, um, I started to coach with as many people and as the, the, the highest variety of people I possibly could, because I wanted to just experience my range of what's possible. And through that, I actually was able to whittle it down to saying like, you know what, the feedback coming back to me is that this is what I'm good at. This is what people are reacting to. This is what works. And so when I started to get that feedback, that's when things started to come into, into, into fruition. People often say, you have to have a niche. You have to speak to someone. And I, I agree to an extent, but I think don't do that from the beginning. You should start with just exploring play a little bit first. And then start to think about what is it that really makes me come alive and do more of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what really got me thinking about, you know, what the package is, what does it look like? And keeping in mind that you're never finished. I mean, I'm, I'm at this precipice now where I think to myself, like, gosh, what's next for me? What's the next thing that I want to get excited about and do more of. And a lot of that has been leaning more into the experience creation facilitation of programs more group work, 
Um, it doesn't mean that I don't do the one-on-one, which I love, but I just want to expand the horizon a bit because the thing that drives me most is, is what's, in, what's excites me is going to excite my people, the people who work with me. Yeah, that's right. And, and staying in tune and paying attention to that feedback so that yeah. you are creating things people do want and not falling into the trap of creating what you think you want people to yeah. have. And then they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. What is this? Um, so as you, as you built this out and, uh, it sounds like you're, you're kind of in this interesting inflection point right now, I'm, mm-hmm. I want to sort of think about your, your network and how the, your network has helped you to this point. Is there, is, are there any stories where, you know, a, a chance meeting or like, you know what I mean? Like I always say that serendipity, you're more likely to find it if you know what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, um, there's a quote that I'll start with and I'll just say that like, the, um, you know, people often say that, um, opportunity happens where, you know, success happens where opportunity meets, um, uh, preparation. And I usually say that it's a, there's a slight nuance to that, that success happens where opportunity meets preparation and connection, because I think that's the thing that is really important. You have to be constantly building connections with the right people to help you get that, you know, opportunity to happen. Um, and then success really happens. Um, such an important difference. I think it's a nuance that really needs to be included. And for me, when I think about the things that have led me to this, it's all been through connections. Um, almost every great opportunity I've had has been through, you know, not, I don't know if it's even really intentionally, but just really saying, Hey, I want to connect with that person. I remember a conversation many years ago, Dory Clark, you know, someone who I never thought would even be approachable you know, that I'd be able to reach out and have a conversation, got on the phone with her and had this conversation that truly like changed it for me to say that, wow, people like that, they, they're willing to help. They're willing to give you support in a way that will help you move forward. And I started having more conversations like that. And that has led me to have these interviews with people on my podcast who I am just in awe of that they give me their time and energy in their, in their stories that have really changed me. You know, I think that's one of the selfish things about doing a podcast is that you get this opportunity to bring these amazing individuals on your show and, and really, you know, reveal them to the world, but also you learn from them. Yeah. I've had a podcast now, um, I don't know, going on five, six years. And I, what I love is that there are people I know a little bit like you but here I'm having a much more in-depth conversation to understand you and your journey that I wouldn't have. Like, even if we like met for coffee, like this probably wouldn't come up, you know, and, um, and that you can ask people to get on your calendar for an hour because you're interviewing them, people that, you know, like Dora Clark or Seth Godin that you're like, oh, you know, I just yeah. interviewed AJ Jacobs and my wife was like, did I just see AJ Jacobs? Is that the author? She's like, I saw that in your calendar. I'm like, yeah. She's like, wow. You know, like you can impress my wife. It's pretty cool. Um, but like, now I, that you yes. interview your wife, it's, you know, you have to be like, well, my favorite interview was you. That's true. Now that I've interviewed her, thank you for noticing that. Um, she was reluctant, but it was a great interview. Yeah. Not all people see themselves as leaders when you're asking them to be part of these shows. As you know, having done this yourself. Absolutely. So when you think about your sort of innermost circle of your connections, like the people you know you're going to stay in touch with at some regular interval, and then you have your, like, I don't know, like your second and third tiers out or second and third layers out, the people 
that you might see once a year at a conference or you work with them five years ago, but it's it's been a while since you've had a reason to reach out. Now, I should preface this by saying, these are people you like and you'd yes. like to see them again. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of weaker tie connections? Any habits, philosophies, practices? Yeah. I, I, I sometimes when I'm writing or, you know, creating something, um, some kind of content, I'd be thinking about those people and thinking about like what it is that, you know, would really connect with them. Uh, and I'll send something to them personally. Um, and I'll be like, Hey, this is something that I wrote. And I think it'd be, you know, I think it's something that would speak to you. You know, if you, if you want, let's have a connection, let's talk. Um, Cause it's been a while, that kind of thing, or just from time to time, you know, pulling up an article or something that, you know, really speaks to them. I will, I will do that. You know, I think that to me is what I often think about for those weaker ties for the people who are more the the in my inner circle, if you will, I I really make it intentional to 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 stay in touch and to make sure that I'm reaching out from time to time and sending them something nice in the mail from time to time, which is nice. So, yeah, I mean, it's always can always do better. I think there's something about that which is, you know, really realizing that we can always do more to nurture those people who have really supported us. And just even reminding me right now, I'm thinking to myself, gosh, there's a few people on my list I haven't talked to in a while. I need to talk to them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting. Uh, Since the pandemic started, I have both received more gifts and cards in the mail than the five years prior. And I've started sending them because I realized how much I enjoyed receiving uh, them and like setting, you know, setting things out. I got to give a shout out to my friend, Melissa Smith, whom, you know, yeah. Melissa, like regularly, I mean, I could literally look on my desk and always find a card from her that's handwritten with some kind of congratulations note. And like, she'll see something happening online and she'll, she'll write a quick note about it. And just the, that or birthday cards or gifts sent to the mail or anything. Like, I'm just, I love that now that we're more digital, we are using the physical, <laughs> Uh, to yeah. kind of stay connected in a different way. And that it has such meaning compared to like a like, you know, but do you have, um, do you have a list somewhere? You like a stack of business cards? Like how do you track, you know, people, do you have any kind of system or processes <laughs> around that? I'm revealing my, I'm not going to reveal my secrets. Now uh, I, I do, I do have an Excel list of people who I, I keep track of, of the, you know, who I think are important to me. And I want to make sure that I, you know, on a regular basis uh, reaching out to, um, I mean, I also have my mailing list of like on my newsletter who I, those are people I'm also keeping an eye on and making sure that they're getting what they need from me. Um, but it's the, it's the Excel list that is the most, it's like, that's the gold. Yeah. Um, About how many people generally are on there month to month? On that list, there's about 400 or so, which is more than I think is, um, it's hard to manage, but on the the newsletter list, um, it's about 1300 or 1400 right now. Yeah. Yeah. But I've called it down because some people are not, you know, not as, uh, at some point in time, you, you start to call the list a little bit and say, who's really engaging and who's not. Yeah. I think, you know, I worked with someone years ago. Uh, oh, actually, it was there on my podcast. They, they had their, their top 50 conversations list. Um, mm. Oh, John Corcoran, that's who that was. It was a long time ago interview. And, uh, and that, that got me thinking, like, if I had to list, like, keep 50 people on the list, like, who, how would that change? And, I, and also, it's seasonal. 
Like it feels like for this six months versus like a year and a half from now that who'll be on that 50 list or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I've tried all kinds of CRMs and in the end, like it's, so. it's if it's too complicated, I'm not going to keep using it. Um, so I, you know, I think that's the trick with all this is to figure out what, what will, what will be useful to you as long as you, you know, stay present with people. Um, is there anything else that comes to mind that you're doing um, to kind of either stay top of mind or, or providing value? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one thing for sure is to make sure that you're putting out um, some good content to people and make sure you're from time to time, you know, dropping their names in, into new lists, in, into um, into um, different social media posts so that they know that, you know, you're still thinking of them, that you're still on their list, um, that you're still like feeling like they're part of your world. Um, that's little, little things, but it helps um, to know that they're part of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, you mentioned Dory Clark earlier, uh, a connection you and I both have, and, um, she has been such a supporter of me for so many years that, um, my, my close friends at one point, um, my like peer mastermind, uh, they, they formed a drinking game <laughs> and they, they joked that every time I was mentioned her name, it was drink, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but I'm like, but you know, when someone has that much valuable insight and resources and ideas, and of course I always want to give credit when I have an idea that's not my own. So like, you're going to hear about that person a lot. And yeah. so she's introduced me to so many great people. And so now I have probably have more people in the mix that I refer to on a regular basis. So it's not just one person all the time. Um, but I, you know, I think like you said, it's like being top of mind and then how do you pay people back? Well, I, I forward her stuff. I share her stuff. I tag her, yeah. you know? Um, we, we name drop her on this show all the time. And I, I didn't even do it this time. You did. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, so I get the blame for that one, but it's funny. I think about <laughs> the people who I also, you know, a lot of the connections I had, they're all like some degree of separation from Dory and, you know, um, you know, Jeffrey Shaw, like Todd churches, uh, you know, I could go on a, a tangent, even Marie, uh, in Contrera, who's a, you know, fantastic person I work with and she's just amazing. They're all amazing people. Um, and it's just great to be part of a community like that. Um, as well as other communities that have really had an impact on me, but, um, uh, that sounds like part of your strategy is also being active and engaged in certain, uh, I guess I'm gonna call them communities and, and you're, you have to sort of find your people and then mm. engage. Exactly. Exactly. So um, as we're wrapping up here, yeah. I'm curious, uh, you know, we're going to stay in touch. So let's say it's a year from now. And I say, oh my gosh, Tony, it's been a year since we had your interview. So uh, I want to know when we have that conversation, I say, what have you been up to? Yeah. What are we going to be celebrating? What are we going to be toasting a year from now? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Yeah. So I love this question because it's going to be an interesting year. I have... Um, two things that are interesting right now that I'm top of mind. And one that, um, is really kind of, we'll see what happens, but one of them is I'm working on my, my second book. It's called campfire lessons. Yes. It's going to be fun. And that's going to be hopefully out by end of next, well, somewhere middle of next year. Um, and then the other thing I'm working on is a Ted talk, which I'm really excited about. So to be, to be determined about the title and all that, but uh, I won't mention anything else besides the fact that it's going to be interesting and very timely for where we are right now. And um, the last thing is 
Next year is all about starting to get into more of those, um, get out of the virtual world and more into the real world and spending time into retreats and getting people out into the world um, and spending time together. Um, So I'm really anxious to get more group and retreat experiences going on. So a year from now, that's what we'll be celebrating. Hopefully someplace in person, which would be great. That would be really great. We could actually clink glasses together. Well, I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. How can people find you and follow your work? The best place to find me is on my website, which is inspiredpurposecoach.com. If you go there, you can find my podcast. You can find my book. You can find a link to my um, my leadership assessment tool, which is the something that you can take to, to kind of find out where you are and where you'd like to be. Um, and besides all that, you can also find me on all social media channels, uh, but predominantly on LinkedIn. Fantastic. We will put all the links in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tony. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 290. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. At the top of this episode, I shared how crucial it is to design online events with intention, or the loudest voices will be the most privileged and many participants will not feel comfortable engaging. I've spent the last two years not only honing the craft of designing intentional, engaging online events, but also putting together as many free resources as possible to give those looking to host an event a solid understanding of the technology and facilitation necessary to be successful. Now, it's time to level up beyond free resources, and that's why my new live two-hour workshop is crucial for speakers, trainers, facilitators, and anyone else who wants to take their online events and meetings from solid execution to intentional engagement. On Wednesday, July 20th, I will be hosting a two-hour session where we'll design together a thoughtful, deliberate online event focused on purpose, intent, and the expectations of your participants. For just $100, you will learn how to take your breakouts from basic to purposeful, how you can create spaces where everyone feels that they can participate and not just the loudest, most privileged voices in the room, and how to make it so that all participants feel welcomed and not just invited. You can sign up at robbysamuels.com forward slash 720. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash 720. This is a two-hour session taking place on Wednesday, July 20th. Come join me and let's work together to make your next online session one that will not just be attended, it will be memorable. If you enjoyed this episode, please Share with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe or follow for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey, how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. 
That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.